Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. And good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On, broadcasting from WFHB radio station in Bloomington, Indiana. We're a multiple award-winning show in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show, committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Welcome to March, and therefore welcome to Women's History Month. While originating on March 8th of 1857, when women from various New York City factories staged a protest over working conditions, the first Women's Day celebration in the United States was in New York City in 1909. Congress did not establish National Women's History Week until 1981, commemorated annually the second week of March. In 1987, Congress expanded the week to a month. Takes Congress a while before they get it. I'm thrilled to have in the studio several accomplished thespians, researchers, and playwrights. The overarching theme of tonight's show will focus on a discussion on the elements, creative passion, and community impact of playwright production. Leading things off in the first half hour are members of the highly successful Resilience Production team, Daniel Bruce, Gladys Devane, and Liz Mitchell, who will help with a post-analysis of their latest theatrical project, Elizabeth, A Woman of Color. During the second half, Vernon Williams, educator, author, playwright, journalist, and founder of an Indianapolis-based not-for-profit children's literacy initiative called Word of Mouth, Inc., will help us explore an initiative at IEPUI to support and showcase the Onyx Fest while celebrating and highlighting talent at the IEPUI campus. This was established in 2001 as a vehicle to promote and expose avid theater goers to the voices and talent of new and emerging African-American playwrights. Well, with that all said and done, let's get things underway with a welcome to the Ladies of Resilience first. Uh, Danielle, Gladys, and Liz, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I'm thrilled to have you here, and I'm, I'm even more thrilled because I experienced uh, a tremendous moving portrayal of Elizabeth, a woman of color. And we're not referring to Elizabeth Mitchell, but this was an actual individual who sued and gained her freedom in Indiana. And while she was indentured, or for all intents and purposes, enslaved in Kentucky. And um, they're here tonight, tonight to talk about um, sort of a retro look at the, at the theatrical performance, which I'm so glad they have an announcement to make about a future performance in Bloomington. But we want to talk about the performance that I experienced oh, several weeks back. Uh, ladies, let's start with uh, the producer of said theatrical production, uh, Daniel Bruce. And Daniel, you're, you're no novice at this. You've done these type of things before. So explain to the audience, first of all, uh, how many of these have you done, your passion? And then, then we'll get into Elizabeth, a woman of color. Well, Vernon, I, um, I grew up in the theater, so I, I've always been exposed to the theater as a means of, of communication, and luckily, and as a therapy as well as um, a way of, of just expressing yourself, because I believe that the theater, it, honestly, it doesn't discriminate any, 
and in a good way. Any discipline you have, you can bring it to the theater and it can be useful, which is why it's so really incredible. Um, as far as working with Liz and Gladys, we've done, well, two full-blown productions, you know, two actual full-blown plays, as well as many different, um, I can't even count how many now, probably upwards of 10 to maybe 12 different pieces, individual pieces, or repeated pieces, um, that were much more like the one you saw of Elizabeth, the woman of color, sing singular acts, you know, and, and that were kind of explored, and we just kind of did this new thing where we've added the historical commentary as support and supplemental information for the the other part of the performance, which I think gives it a lot of body and and bulk, you know, really, it, I think it gives it credibility as well, and it helps people who are really on the left side of their brain experiencing the show, you know, to see, kind of understand what we're doing and what we're doing creatively over here. Because ultimately, even though we're doing works that are inspired by actual events, they are still works of fiction at the end of the day because mm -hmm. they have been fictionalized. So there is some literary, um, oh, what's the word, Vernon? Literary liberty or what's the phrase they use? Um, poetic license. Poetic license. Yes, so, so, license we, so we don't get sued. There is some <laughs> <a> poetic license <laughs> That's right. in this craft. Um, but, it, but it all sort of starts with a concept, a thought. And someone seated at this table is an historian of the First Order. Uh, she is our Bring It On contributor for Dark Past, Bright Future. And I, I'm referring to the one and only Liz Mitchell. Uh, Liz, did you bring this to the group to say, hey, this is a story... We need to research, or how did this come to be? This is uh, a story that Gladys found uh -huh. and Gladys developed. Um, and, and so I had no part in, I didn't have to do any research for this. Uh, Gladys came across uh, the document, the mm -hmm. court document, and then went from there. And this court document revealed what? It revealed uh, the names of the, the persons involved in court, being Elizabeth her owner and the foreman and it told pretty much what she was supposed to get the results of the trial and it was just a simple little document that uh, and that's why Gladys had to take some artistic liberties to develop the story uh, she had to figure out we didn't know how Elizabeth got from Kentucky to Indiana and uh, it was just a simple little no no more than 15 or 20 lines. And so Gladys took that and used her imagination to develop the story. And I would be willing to bet it's it's pretty close to the truth of how she got here. Uh, and, Gladys, please chime in on that. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, at, when I received the document and was asked to write uh, a story, uh, the only thing in that document was she belonged to Weathers. Uh, she came from Bullitt County, Kentucky, and she sued on what, she got her freedom on whatever date that was. And so I thought, okay, Bullitt County, Kentucky, where is that in relationship to where she wound up in Harrison County getting her freedom? And I said to myself, I've got to get her from Bullitt County, Kentucky, to this place where she got her freedom. 
And so I've got to develop a plausible story that would get her there. So the first thing I wanted to know was, tell me, let me learn a little, a, a, a little give me some information about plantation owners in that area. And so I got a list of plantation owners, and I chose, there were, there were several um, uh, Massa Simmons, uh, and I, I assumed they were brothers, uh, you know, from the same family. Uh, I chose, I was very careful not to use a first name. Right. Uh, so I chose that name as the master that she originally started with. I took her to the auction block in Kentucky where she was purchased by Withers and then Withers lived in Meade County, Kentucky, which was right across the river from Indiana where she wound up. So that's how I, it wasn't just pulling it out of the, sure. uh, you know, out of the air. I, I, I wanted to create uh, a story that was plausible. Right. And so this is what I did. And some things we're not going to be able to have the luxury of going to Ancestry.com or other such platforms, and there are many out there, mm -hmm. so not to pick on one, but we don't have the luxury of getting accurate census records. I was told that a lot of times the census taker didn't even go down the path to get everyone's name, just guesstimate it. Or they knew that a mulatto lived there or, or someone of lighter complexion. They just said, well, one mulatto. Um, but the work that you three have put together, the impact, it riveted the audience, number one. Because one, it was a combination of spoken word, effects, special effects, and a time interjection of historical fact, which just served to center everything as you proceeded on this journey, on this path. Um, there was even, uh, for those that didn't attend, Number one, it would have been standing room only. Uh, they did a, an excellent job of filling the venue. When you walk in, there, there's light and sound that, that you're greeted by. It was dimly lit on purpose. You have, to, you have to be brought into this space in your mind. And then the music was appropriate. It wasn't overbearing. The audience members were sort of nervously chatting at one point because they perhaps had in their mind how this story may go. And then... It begins, the dimming of the light, and our narrator, Liz Mitchell, comes out and sets the scene and thanks everyone for coming. And then it begins, and you're taken on this journey. And I like the way you painted the scene. Gladys, you're a storyteller, number one. And I know our grandchildren will love you <laughs> because you can tell a story. But it was just the passion you put in it. Uh, and then in the background, you hear horse hooves, uh, hitting the ground as she's running, trying to hide, and you hear gunshots uh, crackling through the air, and you're taken there. You're taken there, and I, I really appreciate it. And it, it was probably all said about, what, 45 minutes for the whole production? That's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and now this is not the first time Resilience Productions has put together a powerful, moving offering for the community. Um, there were heroes of Indiana, African-American heroes and sheroes of Indiana. Mm -hmm. And you went down this list, this exhaustive list of people who made an impact in the state.
Can we talk about that production? Because I want to sort of weave all those things in, if we can, tonight. Uh, just your impressions of just working together as a team, sitting around, eating popcorn, drinking lemonade, someone has an idea, <laughs> hey, let's do this. <laughs> or maybe one lemonade. But anyway, let's talk about that. Uh, how does this go? How does this take place? Um, well, for me, I... I was brought in, actually, at the tail end of the, begin- the first resilience that we did, Indiana's Untold Story. I, um, I was brought in, at, yeah, like I said, the tail end. And so I wasn't there for the writing of that piece, but um, was asked to be the director and saw what was happening with it. And it was just an incredible, just in general, an incredible experience and something that really needed to be told, I think, was the big thing. And that's what really captured my attention. Right. And... We worked on that, but, you know, I found that at that time I was becoming a little bit more of a dramaturge as much as I was a director, and it was not, not every director has the benefit of being able to say, okay, well, if we write it this way, we can stage it this way. You don't usually get to be part of that process, so I was really fortunate that I got to, you know, have a voice in those moments, you know, as they brought it to me, and I said, well, this is great, but can we talk about some of these things that you guys have written? What do you think if we did this or moved this here or, you know, and it was, and it was I was very lucky. You know, and I think that that's in part what helped the production kind of kind of sealed it together. You know, it mm-hmm. made it a lot easier because then you don't have to do those things when you're in the middle of rehearsal. Right. You know, and let's comment, if you will, on, on just your previous experiences working together as a unit and bringing to life well, characters. I, I would I just consider myself fortunate that Gladys had the idea. She said, "The state's bicentennial is coming up. Uh, we might be left out, and you know a lot of stories, and I can write." Let's put something together. And I had so many stories we still need to tell that we had to leave. That was a tough decision, what to tell and what not to tell, that we could do something in a later date and putting these stories together. And Danielle helped us go through it. Well, this will go on stage and this won't. And so that helped eliminate. Then there were some things that we felt really strongly about that needed to be told. And we said, Daniel, this is something, we, we gotta tell this story. And so it just all worked together. It took a while. I know people thought uh, it looked easy, but it took about a year and a half from beginning to end to get it on stage and it was very worthwhile. And these are stories that people still are in awe. Did that really happen here in Indiana? They're still asking, is that true? Did that happen in Indiana? And of course, like, Gladys said we had to take some liberties, but the facts are still there that people can even research on their own that, yes, some of these incidents did happen. And one of the things that um, we were fortunate enough to have, we had all of these stories, and we knew we couldn't tell them all, and Danielle was was great about, well, let's take these two and, and put them together, introduce them to each other. But they didn't know each other. Well, they did, maybe they didn't know each other. But we can create a situation in which we can tell both stories mm-hmm. if we, you know, modify the, the... Well, when they were contemporaries, for instance, like George Shively and... Um, Major, Major, Taylor. Taylor. Major Taylor. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they lived at the same time, so it was, in my mind, plausible that they could have maybe encountered each other, let's say, in West Baden, 
you know, and since they both had reason to be there at the same time. So I said, is that far-fetched? I said, it's a bit of a dream sequence in some of this, in somebody's mind. But, you know, it was, if it only could, you know, like Picasso at the La Pinagile, that kind of thing, if these two people came together and since they could have maybe bumped into each other, what would happen if they did, right. you know? And so that made that a plausible reason because, you know, West Bay and French Lick had this track and it was a racetrack, a bicycle racetrack, and in the center was the ball diamond. Well, then we had a baseball player and a bicyclist that lived at the same time, and probably they did meet. You got the world's greatest athlete in Major Taylor, mm -hmm. and you got this baseball player that was awesome. You know, what are the chances that they would not meet? They so have, that's that's kind of the thing. BFFs, as they say today. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> if you just tuned in to Bring It On, we're having a wonderful conversation with the members of the Resilience Productions team, Daniel Bruce, Gladys Devane, and Liz Mitchell. They recently presented to the community a theatrical project entitled Elizabeth, A Woman of Color. We're sort of doing a post-analysis and then going further into what goes into putting together impactful community presentations. One thing that stood out is I entered the space on that day with my family um, was that there was no charge. And I'm thinking, well, most times today, not, not that this will always happen, ladies and gentlemen, but for this particular production, there was no charge, but donations were graciously accepted. Um, but for these type of productions, it seems to me that's a, that's a sign that the message is more important than any profit that can be made on the telling of the story. That the message they want to resonate within the eyes and hearts of the viewer, as opposed to just earning some income off of someone's real story. And to your point about taking um, uh, theatrical liberty, and, and you know, Hollywood does it all the time. And whenever I see based on a true story, well, it, that, that's a unique phrase that's probably been vetted by every attorney in Hollywood well, yeah, you can say that, but there was no love interest in this person's life that we knew of, but all of a sudden they have one. So we, we know how that game goes. But in this case, you had to sort of bring, you had to connect the dots some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And you had to transport us there. But there was a story to be told. This woman sued to get her freedom in Indiana during that time. That's unheard of. But yet she did it. 48 years before um, the Emancipation. 48 years before the Emancipation mm -hmm. Proclamation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Escaping from Kentucky... To Indiana, and sues to get her freedom. And 12 white men gave it to her. And 12 white men <laughs> granted her her freedom and awarded her damages, which, by yeah. the day's account, you know, it's, what was it, $14? $14. Some clothing, $14. maybe a meal, whatever. Um, but still, that, that's unheard of. And then the thing that I share with, with Gladys on the phone, or maybe with Liz, was she was one of those who was successful. But just think of all the many under the guise of indentured servitude did not have that remedy. And uh, that's, that's sort of the, the black eye on, on Indiana and neighboring states. One thing I want to talk about are sort of what you envision doing in the future. Uh, and, and I know, see, and, this, and Liz is chuckling because she's probably got 20 different concepts. Gladys has 21, and Danielle is saying, <laughs> look, I, I'm, I want to take a break, you all. <laughs> so... Okay, what's on the horizon? I think there's maybe something coming up in the fall, perhaps? Or am I... I don't want to give away secrets, but... Uh, as Resilience Productions, you mean? Yes. Okay. 
Oh, and you, you do something unique, too. You kind of branch out and do your own thing. Yeah. Right. Okay, but as a team, what may be coming up as, as a team? We're doing a repeat of, of what you saw okay. uh, uh, March 20th All right. uh, at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Bloomington. Um, we were asked, oh, could you, could you please, would you consider? And we gladly said yes, because we, are, we operate under the umbrella of the Racial Justice Committee. Uh, at the UU Church, because we had to have a, uh, we had to be a 5013C mm-hmm. organization, mm-hmm. or be under the auspices of a 501C3. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're doing it there on March 20th, and it's for the Bloomington community, and you know for the UU Church community. Any thoughts of perhaps taking that beyond the borders of Bloomington around the state? I think that would be great, actually. I, I think alone, um, I think it's a powerful piece. I, think, I know Gladys has worked on other pieces, and we have other pieces coming up that we're still cultivating. I would love to see us be able to take more than just Elizabeth on the road and maybe get into the schools, right. which would be wonderful. I was thinking that also. Yeah, that's um, the goal. We have a gentleman that's going to join the conversation and really jump in at any time. I mean, Vernon lost for I'm words. Just, this is, this is whoa, what is going on? conversation. <laughs> Uh, but but you have done a lot of work. I'd be an ex-official member of you all's troop. You have taken uh, your projects now to mm-hmm. schools. Um, you've taken, uh, well, I, I don't know if you took True Colors then or not, but uh, you've taken others. We did True Colors at IUPUI as well as IU Bloomington. Right. Um, and I, I love everything I've been hearing um, I, I love the creative process uh, that goes into uh, their production and the substance, which is what I think is um, badly needed in, in theater, um, to have stories of substance, because a lot of people can't imagine beyond the narrative that they hear every day and the, all they've been told, and they're very limited in their thinking. And they think that, I mean, how many people in this country would have imagined that there was a mathematician like Sister Johnson before Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Nobody would have even, not even educated black fe- people knew about her yes. for the most part. So there's so many stories like that, like the fascinating story that you all told. That's really something people need to hear. Everybody wasn't cowering away and, and just bucking and grinning. They were very forward-thinking African people who were captive in this country who wanted to and in many cases did do something about their condition. So it sounds like a wonderful story. I'm glad that, that I had a chance to hear about it. How many people are in your cast? Gladys. Just one person? It's a one person? <laughs> well, the piece is Gladys and then the historical commentary is Liz. Okay. In this particular one. In this particular one. The last couple of shows it's been about 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was in reverse from one of our shows uh, uh, oh, for um, the lady who did the Beth O.A. and me. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, you Bessie. did... The one that you yeah, played yeah, the piano. Yeah. yeah. So you did the commentary on that one. Mm-hmm. We kind of did reverse oh, roles. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We did Maddie Jacobs Fuller. Yeah. And, and Liz was Maddie and Gladys did the, the commentary on that. Okay. 
At, at some point, I'd like to talk to you all about what you think about coming doing something in Indianapolis, you know. So um, be great. I, I'd like to get your contact information. Um, I, I guess I get it from Boss Man over here. Um, See, this is where we play the, the love connection theme music <laughs> because there's synergy all of a sudden going on. But that was my hope all along that we can get a lot of these products beyond um, you know, town boundary and get it out to a, an audience that could appreciate. We as people need to know our history Absolutely. as opposed to someone writing it for us mm-hmm. uh, and telling us what our history was. Someone who's done the research ran across a document that can then create a story and narrative that connects all the dots and is is authentic. Mm-hmm. And we'll then we'll leave the, the participating audience hungry now for more knowledge about themselves and what's going on in society. And it, it doesn't have to have a formula. And I think you, you went into this last time with someone who dresses, cross-dresses, and uh, has everybody under the sun singing songs every drop of a hat. And <laughs> we were talking about, yeah. in, in an earlier broadcast, of just the extremes that we see theater going when there are really heartfelt messages like sonnets from my sisters mm-hmm. that, that you put together. Basically, if men would listen to women, what women could tell them, basically one of those type of messages in, in theater. Theater is so powerful. It's so powerful. We think the big screen is powerful, but sometimes when you're 15 feet away from the actors and actresses, you're transported. Uh, the storytelling is powerful. That's always been a powerful element in the black community. Uh, and I'm not saying that you may be an official grilled. I don't know. But uh, it's a powerful way to get a message across. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a few more minutes in this segment, but I want to make sure that we're saying everything and sharing everything with the community that we need to. And then I'm going to invite the ladies to stay around as we talk with Vernon. But um, does anyone have anything else they want to add as far well, as... Well, we just want to make sure that uh, the listening audience knows that we are going to do a repeat performance of Elizabeth, the Woman of Color, at the Unitarian Universalist Church on March the 20th at 7 p.m., and I think a $5 donation? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, okay. Uh, that is their call. Uh, it, the donation would you know, be optional. Okay. No one will be turned away. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was wondering how your daughters, you brought two young girls. Mm-hmm. I don't know, can't remember their ages. What did they think of Elizabeth the one that called? Okay, um, and this is the time I get to do a shout out because I told them I would. Elena, who is six, who's now smiling from ear to ear, because I said her name over the radio, and Anaya, who is 11. Uh, they accompanied my wife and I, Anne and I, to the uh, performance. Uh, we, we, we were standing in line, because again, I'm not kidding, it was, it was, it was actually uh, standing room only, which is really a testament to the quality of, of a product that you provide, or a project that you provide. We saw these signs that said, during this performance, there will be special effects of gunshots. So, of course, then they're thinking all along, okay, how loud? When is this going to happen? But that was okay because they were attentive because they were waiting. But they really experienced it. They liked it. And there were some jaw-dropping moments when they said, oh, wow, I didn't know. Like when she's holding onto a log going across the Ohio River. Um, when the horse hooves are beating into the earth and she's hiding beneath the cabin. Um, and then you could hear you could the pain in, in Gladys's voice as she is describing what it's like to be on the auction block. 
those things are riveting, and those things pique their curiosity. I, my one daughter and I is an historian at heart, uh, so Liz, I want you to talk to her at some point. But um, that was a cheap uh, plug right there. But anyway, um, she's an historian at heart. She loves to do the research. She loves the different era period of dress, 40s, 30s, 50s, and all, and on. So. And Elena just loves to, to go places, so, so she was excited to be there. But they were impressed. They were moved. Everyone there, it resonated. And the audience w- was not all African-American. It was predominantly white, which to me is another opportunity to educate people because a lot of people just didn't know. And so, you know, these opportunities we need to take advantage of. And um, You know, I found that uh, for thoughtful plays like that, you tend to get a very, very mixed crowd. Yes. Now, when you do, Madea finds her left shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, a little more narrow. Exactly. <laughs> Madea has a bunion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but um, for the thoughtful pieces, um, you, you get um, a, a broad audience and, and a broad-minded audience in many cases. And when you have a platform uh, to espouse truth, take advantage of it. Yeah. And especially, again, and, and I think every show we try not to, we try to avoid the, the political commentary, but in a nation that is divided at the current time, we need to share things that are going to be healing. We need to share things that are truthful, emphasis on truthful, and some way to reconcile. Um, no, no, there's no reconciliation that anyone can offer. The slave master has gone on to, to his reward. Uh, Elizabeth, a woman of color, has gone on to her reward, but uh, there are generations of folk who perhaps were taught at the knee of some relative the way life should have been. And now, you know, the emphasis on make America somewhat like that again. Well, the truth needs to be told. Yesterday we celebrated the walk across the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, and, and John Lewis was there, who now is helped because he's suffering of cancer. But yet he had to be there 55 years later. That story needs to be retold to America. So we're living in a real pivotal time, and I'm so glad. Again, I'm really thrilled to have everyone assembled. We're going to take a musical break, and we're going to come back and uh, grill, I mean talk to Vernon Williams <laughs> about some of the things that he's involved in. I'm inviting um, our ladies to stay, and, and, and we can all just have some discourse here. So you're listening to WFHB. Broadcasting from, you're listening to Bring It On, broadcasting from WFHB radio station here in Bloomington, Indiana. And we'll be back on the other side of this musical selection. Wade in the water, come on and wade in the water, children, wade in the water, right on my God. Gonna trouble the water
And you just heard Wade in the Water, sung by the Blind Boys of Alabama. The Blind Boys of Alabama are a gospel music group from Alabama that first formed at the Talladega School for the Deaf and Blind in 1939. Wade in the Water is the name of a Negro spiritual first published in New Jubilee songs as sung by the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Now, at the top of the hour, we began a conversation with the members of Resilience Productions who shared a post-analysis of their latest theatrical project, Elizabeth, a Woman of Color. We now turn to Vernon Williams, educator, author, playwright, journalist, and founder of an Indianapolis-based literacy initiative called Word of Mouth, Inc. He's here to shed light upon an initiative at IEPY to support and showcase the Onyx Fest, which was established in 2011 as a vehicle to promote and expose avid theater goers, goers to the voices and talent of new and emerging African-American playwrights. Vernon, welcome to Bring It On. It's great to be here, Clarence. And I, I should have added that Vernon is famous now. You were on TV. You were <laughs> okay. interviewed by, was it Fox? Uh, Fox News? Fox 59 in Fox 59. <laughs> not, not Fox out of, okay, but Fox no. 59. Not the bad Fox, the good Fox. And, and, and before coming over... <laughs> But before coming over, I, I saw you. Uh, you were you were there, smiling and cheesing, but yet telling people that hey, uh, an initiative is on the horizon. It sounds interesting. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, the two pieces. First of all, there's the Africana Repertory Theater of IUPUI. Okay. That's an organization okay. uh, that was formed to offer. A look into black culture, black politics, black lifestyle from a theatrical standpoint. The university will be about, or this group from the university will be about trying to put together productions and at the same time offering support to existing troops throughout Indianapolis and central Indiana. The idea is to enhance interest in the arts and to bring to another level the quality of the message that we can put out when we start creating our own narrative. Um, you know, the performing arts, sadly, is becoming less and less prominent in the schools. We don't think that that's a good thing. We think that the performing arts, in addition to the kind of education and entertainment you can get from it, it gives a lot of students a sense of purpose, whether they're in front of the camera, whether they're on stage, or whether they're helping to build a set, or whether they're behind the scenes moving things around as stagecraft. That sense of identity with a positive purpose is part of what's missing from many of our urban youth. So we hope that this activity will not only be something that we can enjoy for entertainment and be informed, but that it'll motivate the whole next generation that have talents in this area and to move them forward toward their dreams. You know, Indianapolis is somewhat of a mecca anyway historically with indiana avenue and all the luminaries that came through cab calloway and yes. uh, a whole host of individuals uh of course one of my favorite um 
West Montgomery. Uh, you know, I came to Indianapolis in 2001. I didn't know a lot about Indiana Avenue, but I kept hearing that buzz uh, from my friend Charles Williams, who's with the Indiana Black Expo. And at one time, we would think about moving Expo to Indiana Avenue to be closer to that original culture. Well, it never happened. But here, 18 years later, IUPUI asked me to write a play for their 50-year celebration, which told the story of Indiana Avenue and its relationship to IUPUI. Now, let me say, in all transparency, it's not always a sweet story, okay? There's there's a, a tale of displacement, a tale of gentrification, and uh, um, that's honestly told in the play. Um, I would not dare try to write it without highlighting that. And, and IUPUI, to the credit of the university and the administrators there, are willing to deal with that and to, to own what did not happen, even though it could have been generations before anyone who's there now. Beyond owning it, the talk is to have continuous dialogue. So if new people coming to work there and new students coming to learn there are connected to that legacy, while we can't erase what's happened, we can give more respect to um, uh, the grounds on which that university was built. And that's the idea of the play, The Price of Progress. So that's one of the productions of uh, Artie. It was also the featured play during Onyx Fest in 2019. Onyx Fest is an event that highlights the work of black playwrights. And it gives individuals an opportunity to come for two consecutive weekends and see one-act plays produced downtown in the theater district. Um, we are in the process of ferreting through 14 scripts that were received to find four that will be staged. They'll be staged at no expense to the playwright. Um, by being chosen, their cast is paid, the technical crew is paid, the director is paid, they even are paid for rehearsal, and the venue is provided free of charge. So it's um, a great opportunity to um, showcase four playwrights during that event. It's going to be two consecutive weekends, May 21st through the 24th, and May 28th through the 31st at the uh, Indie Fringe Theaters downtown in the theater district. Now, is this a, an annual occurrence, or, or is this the start of what hopefully will be an annual thing? This is the 11th year. Okay. Last year, for the first time, IUPUI participated as basically the primary uh, participant. We had The Price of Progress and two other plays, uh, all generated from our campus. This year, we've stepped it up to become co-sponsors, and next year, IUPUI will take over uh, Artie will take over Onyx Fest. So the Africana Repertory Theater of Indianapolis, of IUPUI rather, will be the driving force for Onyx Fest. And not just for that one thing during the year, but for similar productions, as I alluded to earlier, around the clock, around the calendar, but Onyx Fest being the highlight. You know, one thing that's interesting is um, you put a play on in the Indiana Historical uh, Museum. Mm -hmm. And these ladies just did the Resilience production at the Indiana Historical uh, Museum mm -hmm. here in Bloomington. Monroe and County. the Monroe County. 
Um, and, and it's really interesting that we would go to those venues yeah. to share the story. You did something on Sonnets for My Sisters, yes. if I'm not mistaken. And I, and I alluded to it in the first segment, but go ahead and share with our listening audiences uh, what that was about. Sonnets for My Sisters was a play designed to have men speak to women as though they were blood brother and sister. In other words, address what they perceived to be things that would enhance their relationship um, scope of knowledge. <laughs> not from a man trying to hit on you, not from a man trying to advance his own cause, but from a man who loves you in a family way. And that's what the play was from start to finish. Uh, there were some very poignant poems, and um, I was blessed to have some very uh, talented actors uh, present it. And it's funny to me because it never failed. We did that play in Bloomington, Anderson, Muncie, Columbus, Gary, and I'm probably leaving someplace, Indianapolis, of course, and I'm probably leaving someplace out. But we did about a total of maybe 15 performances in seven or eight venues. And it, it was funny because um, after the play, I would have uh, ladies come to me and said, okay, did you write every poem? And I said, yeah, you know. Okay, even the one about, and I said, yeah. You know, and, and it all, believe it or not, goes back to Bloomington. When I was down here as a student, I was one of those guys that ladies could have as a friend, you know. And we need, we need to get the background music. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know, it was like I, after a while, I could have hung a shingle outside of my um, room at the camp house, you know, because I'd listen unselfishly and non-judgmentally. Uh, you know, I had three sisters, so um, uh, I had a very... Uh, respectful relationship um, uh, with with females. So um, and then word got around. Go ask Vernon. Talk to him. But talk to Vernon about it. Hey Vernon, when my boyfriend does this, what does it really mean? Uh, you know, Vernon, my fr your fraternity brother. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's where it started. And there are ninety-seven poems and sentences for my sisters, and each one of them represents a real, I don't even know if you know this, a real life circumstance with a female that I knew somewhere between college and say 2000, real life. Mm. Now, those poems have been put into a book format? Mm -hmm. Sons from My Sisters is a book, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, let, let's, let's turn uh, the direction a little bit. You, we all experienced something um, which was a milestone marker in our society, the election of President Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. and, and not to lose that moment in time and place, you wrote uh, a play that was called True Colors. True Colors. Yeah. And I might say that um, it was inspired by Brother Clarence um, in that he said, King Day is coming up, Vernon. Um, you call yourself a playwright, write something for King Day. So I said, okay. It's not always that simple, Clarence, but I'll see what happens, you know. And and really, it like you said, it took months and months before even a concept came to mind. But then I said, what if we looked at the election of Barack Obama through the prisms of four totally different, really it was more than that, but it was about six, di six different right, scenarios yeah. from the suburbanite. Uh, I had two white cast members, two black cast members. 
and they were excellent. They played all the roles. We had a country couple that woke up just outraged, thinking it was a nightmare, you know, thinking that it couldn't be true. Of course, we had black celebrating couples. We had Colin Powell and Condoleezza, uh, and Rice. Condoleezza Rice in one scene. Um, so it was just all these scenarios of people reacting to the election of um, President Obama. And um, it was a very gratifying experience at the end. Well, it's the power of, of not only telling the story, but taking uh, societal events and crafting a message around that. Taking some liberties, but then just using creative uh, thought mm -hmm. to present to a listening audience, a viewing audience, something that's impactful, something that will resonate, and then maybe something that will sort of um, define where society is. You did something where uh, you took fraternities and sororities, some of the myths and some of the, the, the tensions amongst black fraternities and sororities. And we did a play that called The Divine Nine, and it basically... Uh, the 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 kind of risk with that is if you're doing it on a college campus, then of course everybody knows what you're talking about. But when we took it to the city, there were people like Divine Nine. But that when people came to see it, even those who didn't get it from the title appreciated it. It was it started out as the nine fraternities and sororities competing with each other for a limited number of houses that the administration was going to make available on campus to accommodate recent racist remarks that had been made by white um, uh, fraternities. Sounds like real life, huh? Um, uh, so they were, here's these nine people competing for four houses and just coming at ways to go at each other. So it, it worked itself out where at the end, um, they basically decided that, you know, what good is it? to do if you gain the world or lose your soul in the process. You know, if we're going to be knocking each other down to get these crumbs from the table, who can be proud of that in the end? So they uh, all decided to turn them down unless everyone got a house and everyone got a house. So that was the divine that. Lesson learned. Um, we're in 2020, very pivotal year in, on in many different fronts. Uh, not only are we going to have a... Uh, well, an election for the ages coming up in November. But now we have a potential outbreak of something that's going to possibly sweep through America mm -hmm. and um, change the way we do day-to-day -day business. Yeah. Taking events like that, and, and to the ladies too, is it easy to sit and think of how this may impact marginalized communities and in what ways it might impact them, and, and just to maybe take a couple weeks to brainstorm and then launch into a theatrical performance? That's a, that's a heavy question. That's a heavy question. I, um, I hadn't really thought about it until you just asked, actually. My um, commission's 10% on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the power of, I mean, it's, I would say in theatrical uh, Playwriting, uh, you're, you're, and sometimes you would think you're not at a loss for topics, but it's the development of the topic that, that gets you. It could take, and I don't know, I, I have not done that. Um, they say write what you know. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and so, write what you know. Yeah. So if there's if there are aspiring playwrights out there, and you've been listening, you've you've been intrigued by what you've heard. Little pearl of wisdom just came forth. It's uh, write what you know, and if you don't know it, research it. And I'm still looking at Liz because she hosts our Dark Past, Bright Future segments here on Bring It On, and they've been phenomenal. They've been award-winning. 
and she's a researcher in her own right. Um, and her forte has been, oh my gosh, uh, things dealing with uh, antebellum slavery to Jim Crow to lynchings. Um, we're still not giving up. We're trying to get someone from the lynch lynching museum, yes. National Lynching Museum, to come on or just let us interview you by the by, by telephone. That they they just passed legislation last week um, outlawing lynching, which I, which I, I'm, I I'm trying believe, to wrap my mind around. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that I'm sorry, too. Did you I, say they just last? They, they just, just passed a law against lynching. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and then that's time, of course, with Emmett Till's uh, horrifying uh, murder. Um, and I did talk to Professor James Madison, who was kind enough to say that he would come on after he finishes a book on lynching in the fall. Yes. And, but uh, and in some respects, I, I kind of want to talk about that as we lead up to, to that interview. But, uh, you know, you could here's a concept you could take and write a play about. You know, I think about the, the Gena Six. Uh, and all that transpired mm-hmm. down in Florida. Um, well, I'm working on right now, and I'm putting the finishing touches on it. And you four, and every don't don't let it leave this room. <laughs> are the first to hear this. Um, I'm putting the finishing touches on a play called Being Black. Oh wow! Fill in the blank. Okay. Where will that be produced? Um, my goal is this summer. I'm putting the finishing touches on it, and um, and I tell you, um, all I can tell you is, um, it, it's not, it's not going to be conventional. Okay, Ooh, that sounds leave, exciting. I'll leave it right there. Mm-hmm. All right, you heard it here first. So, um, and where will you seek to uh, to debut it? Um, it'll be somewhere in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where. It might be on the university campus. Okay, all right. Well, we have a few more minutes, and again, we're just really happy to have assembled here tonight individuals who are thespians, playwrights, uh, researchers, um, people who tell hard stories and do it in a way that uh, individuals can appreciate, and we're just so thankful for that. Um, I want to sort of shift gears and maybe ask individuals, what was the most inspiring play you saw and that really ignited the fire within you? Danielle, you didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to write plays. Well, I, I don't write plays, and that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I direct them, but I... <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah, but you didn't wake up one day, you definitely didn't, then, didn't wake up one day that's to right. say, I want to write a play, that's but right. but directing, did you see a play and said, no, I could have done better? Oh, wow. Um, I think because I grew up in the theater and I have known my whole life, I know it's, it's tough to direct a play. It is. It's, it's a lot of work. And so, um, sure, I, I mean, in a, in a catty way, I hate to say it, but I've said, oh, God, I could have done that. I could have done that better. But, you know, at the same time, I also stop and think, it takes an awful lot of work. And so I give anybody a ton of credit that goes out there and assembles a cast and puts together a show. There's so many components that go into a, a play and then even more that go into a successful play. And so I... Um, they have my respect all at every turn. So I, I can't really say that there's been one show. I think it's just maybe been my life that has mm-hmm. said, this is what you should do. I mean, you know, when your father's a blacksmith, you pretty good chance you might become a blacksmith. I always tried to 
actually pushed that away for me. I'd say, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I'm not going to be in theater. And then, of course, I did everything and made it look like theater, so I said, well, okay, I'll do theater. <laughs> so your family, uh, you have theater in your family. Then. Yeah, yeah. Both my parents were in the theater. Both your parents? And my sister's in the theater. And do they perform in the Midwest, or where did they perform? No, actually, it was on the West Coast. They had uh, two different theaters when I was growing up on the West Coast, and um, had worked as both you know, artistic director, directors, producers, costume designers, and both were actors as well. Interesting. So, okay. Here, here's, here's an interesting tidbit I just want to jump in here with, because I don't think I've shared this with the world either. But my only two acting roles, acting roles, were both leads... And neither of them were black men. <laughs> I played, and I can't think of his name, but it was an old, wise Chinese man in the lute song. And I, I had a beard. It wasn't Confucius. I had a beard. My mother made me a kimono. I was a, a senior in high school. I had the hat, the whole nine yards. You know, it looked very authentic, except for, of course, the glasses. But um, um, so I played the, Ch- the Chinese gentleman. And then right here at Indiana University in Bloomington, under the direction of Dr. the great Dr. Winona Fletcher from the National Negro Theater Ensemble, I was honored to have been in days of absence, and I played a white mare. And I just realized at this minute that I've never played a person of color, a black person. You need to write a play for yourself. <laughs> that was my message. God was saying, you just write them. You know. uh, let other people act. You might have to star in one of them. <laughs> yeah. I'll just write them. <laughs> well, uh, we have enough time for either Gladys or Liz to share an inspiring spark in your lives. Um. You know, every play that I've seen, I could take something away. If I'm paying attention, I could take something away from from everything. It's just a lesson learned. There's a nugget in every play, a grain of truth or something that that can inspire you. And so I, there's not one single thing, even from our plays, and and even helping to write them and research. I, I come across different things and then that leads to something else and then that leads to something else so and uh, what William with Gladys I I started at age not I started at age nine um all through um junior high school high school uh I was the the ultimate thespian uh went off to college my first interracial experience no roles for me. Um, a bartender here, there, crowd scene. Married, put it on the back burner. Did not step on stage again until I retired. And <clears throat> realizing your age, your ethnicity, I love being on stage. There won't be much for you to do. If you want to be on stage, you're going to have to write it. Hmm. So I started to write. Right. Well, uh, perfect timing. And again, we look up and the hour has, has been well spent. I want to thank, uh, from the bottom of my heart, these accomplished individuals, uh, thespians, researchers, playwrights, all-around great people, for joining us this evening to focus on a discussion on the elements, creative passion, and community impact of playwright production. And joining us once again were members of the Resilience Productions team, Daniel Bruce, Gladys Devane, and Liz Mitchell, and Vernon Williams, founder of an Indianapolis-based literacy initiative called Word of Mouth. 
And if you have an event or happening in the African-American community community uh, that you want to promote or you feel that the African-American community should know about, please send that information directly to Bring It On. Uh, or if you want additional information about a calendar item or a topic we've talked about tonight, contact us at Bring It On at WFHB.org. Once again, Resilience will air again. What date? On March 20th at the Uni- Unitarian Universalist Church of Bloomington at 7 p.m. All right. Our show's producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB's News Department Director, Cade Young. Tonight's board engineer was Chantal LaFontaine. Our original theme music was credit created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, March 9th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your Bloomington Community Radio Station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.